Go ahead and turn your Bibles to Acts 4, verse 31. 4.31. Good morning, everybody. I had to wear, you know, you you get up in the morning and figure, all right, where's my white shirts? Because I got church and stuff. And then you look, you pull the drawer open and it's empty. And I go... Great. Where, do we have any in the, the dryer? No, that's, we do laundry on Monday. Oh, all right. Well, let's see what white shirt we have that can fit underneath. Oh, it has lettering. Surprisingly, they don't make a lot of uh, colored shirts that hide the lettering, except for black. So today we look like we're going to a funeral or something. Uh, <laughs> all right, now that I've made people laugh, then we can continue, right? Isn't that the way we're supposed to start with a joke and then go on? So we've been, uh, you're there in Acts 4, uh, and we left last week with verse 31. We've been looking at how the first generations of Christians, uh, as Acts 17, 6 says, turn the world upside down. Uh, And how did they accomplish that? And so far we've looked at... uh, how they've done it by making a difference in the relationships that they have uh, within each other, with those that are outside of the church. Uh, They've invested in caring for those that are in need of others. Uh, And then last week we looked at how they were filled with the Holy Spirit and how uh, really any of the fruit, unless you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you're not going to be producing any kind of fruit. Um, And we left them there in Acts 4. I'm not even there. Acts 4, we left them there in verse 31. Uh, and they talking about how they prayed and received the Holy Ghost. And then what happened? What was next? Uh, obviously, we talked last, last week about the uh, next thing ob- that always comes after being filled with the Holy Spirit is, is spreading the gospel. What, but what did they do next? They gave. Uh, they dug deep into their uh, well, essentially, their pockets and gave. Because one thing we don't quite understand nowadays is what happened then is your whole livelihood was surrounded by Jewish people. Your, your, your businesses, everything had to deal with those that were in your neighborhood. You, you were all Jews. Uh, Jerusalem, they were all, you know, the carpenter made stuff for his Jewish friends and, and those that were in the neighborhood. But when they became Christians their whole world crumbled. The, the, the idea of, I'm going to Brian's wood shop to get my, oh, your new bed, stopped happening because Brian became a Christian and now I'm not buying anything from him. And that wasn't just one or two, but it talks about the majority of those that became Christians lost their businesses, lost a lot of times their homes if they were in a place essentially renting from somebody. They were kicked out. They weren't able to make money any longer. And it it almost reminds me of like, why was, we talked about earlier, about when we were talking about caring, why was the man sitting in the beautiful gate? Because he wasn't able to walk, so he wasn't able to make money to live. So he begged for money to be able to survive. Well, now we find these Christians basically in the same situation. Now, they're not sitting at at the gate begging for money, but 
they're in the same situation where they don't have a job. They don't have the, the income that they used to have. And I wonder how many of us would be a Christian today if we knew that was what it was going to cost us. To them, it meant something. To, to them, becoming a Christian wasn't just, okay, well, you know, I go to this church now, and I, I act this way, and, and I still go to work. I still, my normal life is still the same. I just now have the tag Christian. But to these, the, the original Christians, the, those that are from the early church, when they took the name Christian, when they changed from being a, following Judaism to be following Jesus Christ, it meant everything changed. Their, their life was going to be turned upside down. And they had a trust in each other. And so we see here in the first early Christians that their generosity made a difference in their own lives. Uh, instead of becoming dependent only on yourself and you know, pull you up by your own bootstraps, they were dependent on each other. You know, Bill's now not getting anybody calling for help getting business from other people outside. So now the church itself, those that are members in the church, go to Bill for, for help. So now he's getting business from other Christians. Well, obviously, you, once you, know, you only have a handful or so many Christians and only so many houses to fix, then what? Well, that's where we see there in verse 32. We'll, we'll pick up, let's pray, and we'll get into uh, basically three uh, lessons that we can find from this early church on generosity and how a Christian should be generous. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you so much for this morning, for uh, allowing us to be uh, here this morning, to be in your house, and to be able to uh, hear from your word. I do pray that... Uh, you be with today, be with everything that goes on here today, and I pray, most importantly, if anybody uh, here does not know you as their Savior, that today would be the day they would get that settled. Uh, but Lord, I pray that those of us that are Christians, through this lesson, through this, uh, the early church that you gave us in your word, that we would take what they did and, and apply it to our lives today. I thank you again for all that you do. In your name I pray. Amen. First thing I want to look at is the perspective of generosity. Obviously, being generous, you have to look for it. We talked about that with caring. Uh, you have to see somebody in need to then help them. You don't just automatically know somebody is in need of something. You don't automatically just walk up to Bill and be like, here's $50. What? You could, I guess. I mean, Bill would be happy about it. But the, the idea is you find a need. Uh, verse 32, and the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul. Neither said any of them that ought of the things which he possessed was his own, but they all had, they had all things common. You see, generous Christians possess a unique perspective. Uh, they, they don't see what they have like this. They don't clench their fists. They don't, they don't hold their wallet really tight. Because they realize, as a Christian, you realize God owns it all. And he just happened to give you things. Uh, obviously, God doesn't want your life to be miserable. He wants you to enjoy life. pastor's been talking about having a victorious Christian life. 
And I'm not saying that you're going to be wealthy and all this stuff because you're a Christian, but God wants to, you're a child of God. What, what father, the Bible says, what father doesn't give food to his child? What, what father holds things back? And that's us earthly people. What do you think your heavenly father that owns it all? And the Bible says that he didn't spare his own son for you. If he wouldn't spare his own son for you, why would you think he wouldn't open up, the Bible says, and pour out a blessing which you can't receive? So we look at the obligation towards each other. See, they, they didn't, they recognize each other's need as their own. When, when, if Brian all of a sudden, Brian doesn't do woodworking, but pastor, pastor's woodworking business now is empty. Still got all the wood, still got all everything, but nobody's coming. We, at that point, would see his need for financial aid, for being able to survive as our own. Well, that makes a difference. If I mean, we, we just had this uh, last week with JJ. If it was you, if it was your family, how much would you want people to give? Uh, it's one of those things where they, they recognized the built-in obligation of we're Christians. We're all going through the same struggle. And so to get through this, we've got to bind together and get through it. Or we're not going to survive. They, they realized that on their own, they weren't going to continue. If, if pastor said, well, too bad. All right, well, I'll just, I'm not going to buy, I'm not going to say anything to anybody. I'm not going to reach out. I'm not going to uh, uh, try to ask my people at my church or anything for business. I'm just going to keep doing what I've been doing and hope somebody shows up to the shop to buy something. Well, obviously, you know, pastor wouldn't really be continuing doing woodworking. If, if, if the culture in that day marked him as saying, nope, we're not buying from him anymore. It didn't mean that, you know, a man would secretly come over to him and try to buy. No, he was done. His business was done. And the only way they knew to survive is to depend on each other. 1 Corinthians 12, 12 says, For as the body is one and hath many members, and all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. John said it this in 1 John three seventeen. But whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? He says if, if you were somebody that was really wealthy, and you noticed pastor's business failing, or just crumbling apart, it says how dwelleth the love of God in you if you don't reach out and try to help? How, how do you call yourself a Christian if you're not going to be generous in help? Uh, the other thing is they had openness towards owner. owner. I, I said, you know, we, we don't hold what we have with clenched fists. You go to the nursery. You, you think of, and I think of, you know, Charlie or Tori. They have their toy, and they're playing with their toy, and all of a sudden one of them looks at it. Do they just automatically go, oh, here, you, I saw you looking at it. Take, here, have, have my toy to play with. No, the, the normal thing is mine. This is mine. I don't even want you looking at it. 
I don't know if you, I was that way when I was growing up. I would yell at my brother for looking at me. Stop looking at me. It doesn't make any sense, but I guess as a kid, you didn't want somebody looking at you. But Jesus said in Matthew 10, 8, freely ye have received, freely give. Proverbs, uh, Solomon knew that with a clenched fist, most of the people that are like that are poor. Verse 24 in Proverbs 11 says, There is that scattereth, and yet increaseth. And there is that withholdeth more than is meat, but attendeth to poverty. The Bible says, uh, you, you hear a lot of, you can't outgive God. Test him in his promises. T- test him in the, the idea of giving to increase. Not financially all the times, but that, that idea that it's better to give than to receive. That's all biblical. Uh, a good illustration here, Ralph Dodera. I have no idea who the man is, but he's a highly successful investor, commented on a book uh, in his book on Luke 12:18 about the rich man that said, I, I, I don't have enough places to put all that I have. I'm going to tear these barns down and build bigger ones so I can store more and store more. And Jesus says, you fool, for t- today your life is required. He says this about that. Jesus teaches without reservation that there is a coming judgment on all those who hoard wealth for themselves. This man did not stop to think that perhaps the reason God made him affluent was so that he could pass something on for the less fortunate. And then I, he, he, he describes this essentially like a dialogue that he has in his prayer life towards Christ. When, when he's praying and he's reading this in, in his own business, uh, he's an investor, so he, he, you know, he, he's reading the Bible and being convicted. And this is his, uh, you know... Uh, a conversation that he had with the Lord, essentially. Lord, I am beginning to see what you are saying. Instead of you working for me, I should work for you, and it's going to be your business? The Lord says, yes, but you don't get the profits. They're mine. Let me get this straight. You get the profits, and what do you do with them? And the Lord says, there are lots of very important things that I would like to do, but the people who want to accomplish them have no funds. Even as we speak now, they are in tears petitioning me for funds to do the very urgent and necessary things. And his reply is, so you want me to, my profits to be given to them. And this is when he, he changed his mind and, and, and realized what God is meaning is, God's response to him was, no, I want my profits to be given to them. We, we have to understand that God owns it all. He might give you 100% of your check when you go to work and you get your money, but God owns it all. And all he asks is, is for the 10% back, and he lets you, and, and you have to realize and think of it that way, he lets you have 90%. He could let you have nothing. He could take your health to where you can't go to work. He, he could do so many things to us, and, and yet, and we think it's all ours. But this early cr- church, this early Christians, knew it wasn't theirs. 
knew God gave them the blessings to be able to funnel to other people. The other thing we see is the prerequisites of generosity. A couple of these characteristics surface in this uh, early church. Verse uh, 31, there in Acts 4. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spake the word of God with boldness. What was the first step they did? You can answer. What did they do? They prayed. Generous people are praying people. Someone that, there's, there's almost two types of believers when it comes to generosity and, and prayer. The first group we see here in Acts 4. They were selfish, they sacrificed, and they shared what they had given to them from the Lord. And they were sensitive to help the others around them. And then uh, turn to James 4. Keep your finger there in Acts, but turn to James 4. This is the other group of believers. So you've got one side, which the early Christians showed that they were very open with what, the, what God had given them. Very open to be able to say, you need something? Here, uh, God blessed me with this. I'm going to bless you with it. I'm going to give you, like I said, I'm going to be a funnel for the Lord to give you something to help meet your need. The second group is there in James 4, verse 1. From whence cometh war, come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence even of your own lusts that war in your members? Ye lust, and ye have not. Ye kill and desire to have, and cannot obtain. Ye fight and war, yet ye have not. And here's the key. Because ye ask not. James is talking about you, you've gone to war. You're fighting amongst yourself to try to gain ground or, or, or gain a vineyard to be able to produce Grapes, or, or you, you fight for all this stuff to get. But yet, as much as you continue to fight, you don't have any spoils. As, as much as you continue to, to get land, you don't have any land to actually make anything from. And why? Because he says you have not asked. It's not that you didn't ask James. He says you're not praying about it. Just like when <laughs> we talk about you know, trying to get a new job, a higher pay. It always seems as soon as you get the higher pay, your bills go up too. So it's like you're, you're doing this constantly. And it's like, well, I know I make more and I know I'm bringing more in, but why is it all, how do I still not have anything? How do I'm still not, my bank account ain't growing anywhere because it just goes in and then right out. And it's like, they, I think they do it to where your Friday is also the bill day. So that way they know your check's getting deposited. So that way your check can go right back out. But we have to realize that prayer is an is a integral and first step for generosity to begin and to be growing within you. The second thing is grace. Turn back over to Acts five or 4, verse 33. And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. See, grace is God's work in our hearts. It's what enables us to be generous. A, a genuine, a generous Christian is one who have not, has not forgotten what Christ did for him. 
And we talk about that with, with spreading the gospel of what did Christ give you himself and all that he took and bore for you? Can't you be generous with somebody else? Uh, we talk about that for, with forgiving. Think of everything that Christ forgave you for, and yet you have a difficult time just forgiving your brother or your sister or your mom or your dad or somebody you know for something in the real scheme of things is not really that important? Can't we forgive as, as, as Christ forgave us? As, as Christ poured out his grace for us, should we be gracious? Uh, we'll skip. Uh, I was going to read 2 Corinthians 8, read it uh, this afternoon, but it's Paul talking about, it's his classic passage on grace. It, it, they're 8, 1 through 9, but we could also call it generosity. It, it, it's, it's his uh, verses there, nine verses talking about, well, I'll just pick a couple. Verse 5, And this they did, not as we hoped, but first gave their own self to the Lord and unto us by the will of God. He's talking about these uh, Corinthians. He's giving them this idea of, People that gave to us that, I, and it wasn't just like, here, Paul, I, I've got $5 in my pocket. I want to make sure you give that to you on your missionary journey. No, these people went back and knew Paul was coming, and they, they gave sacrificially to the point where Paul says, they gave out of the abundance of their poverty. Not out of the abundance of all the wealth they have. They gave out of the little amount they had, not just what was in their pocket, but what they had at home, what they had invested, what they had saved up. And that's how Christians should be. We, we shouldn't be so tight-fisted with our money. It's one of those subjects that pastors usually like, man, i got to preach on giving. Hope nobody shows up because I don't want to make people mad because it always seems, what, where's the first place that people get upset and start going, Okay, whoa, time out, time out. I'm okay with you talking about my sin or, you know, I shouldn't smoke or do that. Or, but you're talking about my wallet now. Okay, well, that's a little bit more personal. That, that's how I live. That's how I survive. And yet the sad thing is people that go to churches that aren't Christians, that aren't preaching anything, they, you need money or you go out in the world. You have the little guy, little guy, I don't know why I just said little guy, but the guy dressed Sometimes it's Santa, sometimes it's just holiday stuff at Salvation Army ringing the bell. Somehow, he makes a lot of money. Not him, but gets a lot of donations for Salvation Army. Or you got all these charity drives, and they get all this money. And the unsaver were doing that. Shouldn't there be somewhat easier for a church to be able to say, hey, by the way, we got a family that's in financial distress. And it shouldn't be difficult for, the pastor shouldn't have to beg you to be able to say, we're going to collect an offering for them. And it shouldn't have to be like squeezing a grape, trying to get a little, little bit of wine out of it. It shouldn't be so difficult to say, well, I got five ones, I'll put two in there. I got to keep three. I mean, I got to still get my coffee tomorrow. Christians should be the first ones to say, how much do they need? 
How, how much, not, not worried about their own needs because Christ said, I'll take care of you. Don't think about tomorrow. I'll take care of you. We should be open with our wallets, specifically in this situation with our wallets. We, we, we should not have an issue saying, God gave me this, let me help. But sadly, we're the first ones to go, mm, I don't know, 10%, does it, let me see, if, if I make this much, if I carry the one, all right, God's going to get 202 pennies. To the penny, I'm giving him just the 10%. Not anymore, I'm not going to round up, I'm not going to, I ain't going to shortchange him because I don't want to get on that side, but I'm just going to give him exactly 10%. Why is that? Why, why is it that Christians have such a hard time with financial things? And why is it when anybody talks about it, everybody's like squirming in their seat? <laughs> like their wallet hurts, and that's when they squirm and stuff. But the last thing, moving, I'm getting the evil eye here. Uh, personality of generosity. A people did not lack. Verse 34 of Acts 4 starting in verse 34, Neither was there any among them that lacked. For as many as were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the pieces, the prices of the things that were sold and laid them down at the apostles' feet and distribution was made unto every man according to that he need. Some people have a distorted view and think that God wants their money. You got, you know, you have, I have some co-workers that you just want me to come to church because you want me to put something in an offering plate. No. Pastor says a lot of time, God doesn't need your money. Don't, don't, don't think coming here just automatically means, well, they want me to put something in the offering plate. Now, if God leads you to do something, then fine. But don't, don't think that God has to have your money. Like we've already said, God owns it all. He'll get it one way or another. In a, in, a, in a fearful way, you could think of that, or you could think of it as a, you know, like when you were a kid and you got in trouble. We're going to take that toy. You're not allowed playing with that, your parents. If you went and hit it, do you think that was going to stop them from taking your toy? No. They were going to take your toy, and you were going to stop from being able to play with that. Same thing with God. You can hide your money all you want, but God's going to get it one way or another, whether it's, oh, wow, that, that vehicle you just bought, nah, man, it's going to need a new engine now. Wouldn't it have been easier if you would have just given to God in the first place? That engine would have probably lasted, and then you wouldn't have to deal with that. But... God is faithful and generous, but he wants us to surrender to him and trust him. The big thing that I want to finish here with, verse 36. And Joseph, who by the apostles were, was surnamed Barnabas, Barnabas, which is being interpreted the son of consolation, a Levite and of the country of Cyprus, having lands, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. See, as we started in Acts 4 and we go on, it, it, it's kind of broad. But then at the end, we get specific to Barnabas. And I think God did this because he wanted to show you. He, he wanted to be specific, in, and it wasn't just, 
the church gave and all these people. He wanted to show one specific person. Barnabas gave a piece of land, may not have even been doing anything with it, may have been having a garden on it, but we don't, the Bible doesn't say what it was used for, but he knew what the need was. And the first step he took was the Holy Spirit said, they need that. And so he obeyed and, and sold the land and gave the money to the apostles. And think of generous people that you know that have given to things at, at, at the church. Think of, think of the idea of we needed a bus. Okay, well, you, you gave and we, had a, we got a bus or a van. Well, your money just doesn't provide that. Your money provided that then kids are going to be able to be here. And hear the gospel. Don't, don't just be short-sighted and nearsighted to say, well, the church needs to keep the lights on. Well, yeah, the church needs to keep the lights on. You know why? So pastor can be up here and give the gospel to those that don't know and don't hear it outside of these walls. And because of you giving money to keep the lights on, as you want to see, allows others to be able to hear the gospel. And we, pastor said it last week, I think, but... A Sunday school teacher who, who felt the need to go meet one little boy in his Sunday school room and win him to Christ. And then it trickles down to Billy Graham, to Billy Sunday, to, to Moody. You don't know. The same thing happens with your finances. You give your money to missions to go for somebody to go to India or to another country. Those souls that are saved go on your account. Because you were a part of it. But look at, think of Barnabas. What do we know mostly of Barnabas? About his missionary journeys with Paul. And about the, the beatings and, and going through a lot of things with Paul. And then the, the fight that they had. And he took John Mark. And then we don't really hear about Barnabas. We kind of, he fades off the scenes. But you know who we do hear about? Later on, Paul says, send me Mark. Send me John Mark, for he's profitable to me. You know why he was profitable to him? Because Barnabas said, I'm, not, I'm sticking with him. I'm, I'm going to bring him back into, the, into fellowship. I'm going to bring him back up to, to get back on the straight and narrow. May not have heard about John Mark if Barnabas didn't do his job of, of doing trying to disciple and get John Mark back on track. But we don't hear about him, but what we do know about him all starts with the fact that he obeyed to give. If, if you, the, the idea is, if you obey in giving, God says, okay, now I know you'll obey me. So let me give you this to obey me in. Let, let me use you doing this. Barnabas, we don't know, but Barnabas may not have been Paul's helper in the faith and going with him. If, if that first step of selling that land and giving it to the apostles for the rest of those that are in need, he may not have been Paul's partner in those missionary journeys. But since he took the first step of faith and saying, and maybe he didn't use it. Maybe he did use it. Maybe, maybe that was his family farm that he used to have food on the table. But he trusted God and said, God, you, 
you've laid on my heart to give this up. I don't know what I'm going to do, but I'm going to obey you. And because of that, Christ said, I can use you in other places, in other ways. Because you've said yes here, I know you'll say yes there. And I know you'll obey me at this trial, and I know you'll obey me in this. But it started with the piece of land with his money. Generosity not only makes a difference in the lives of others, but it makes a difference in the lives of yourself. Like Barnabas, it made a, changed his entire life. He, he was generous in selling the land, and then we read him about him the rest of the Bible, about his missionary journeys with Paul. It began when he learned to loosen his grip on his wallet. Nudged by the Holy Spirit, he learned to become a generous Christian, like we should be. Now, granted, today, we don't have, well, if I uh, become a Christian, I lose my livelihood. We're not in that kind of situation quite yet. Seems to be going that way. But think about it. If, if we were in that situation, if you were here in this early church and deciding to become a Christian and get saved meant that your livelihood would be gone, could you survive on what you give towards others? Or would you have to say, man, I don't give anything to others. And so if I was in their shoes and I was in the other, if roles were reversed, I'd want them to give. Make sure we don't have a tight fist on our wallet. Don't worry, next, next preacher's not going to pre preach on like giving in the, in the next service. But <laughs> I'm just saying, Christians should be the first to be able to say, I see your need. I need to give you something. God blessed me with this so I could give it to you. It's not just, like I said a couple weeks ago, you get that tax refund. And boy, when you first send it in, you're like, ooh, I'm going to get... $2,000 back from government. What do I want to do with that? Hmm. What do I want to do with it? And you name all these things you want to buy, and, well, I hope that goes on sale because I'm going to get that. And, and then the check comes, and then the hot water tank dies. Or, or something happens with the car. And you're like, you've got to be kidding me. Well, there goes that list. I was going to use it for this. And you think it was, it, you think it was something that, so it was robbed from you. I got this money to be able to use. Now I got to waste it. Instead, we should be looking at it as a need provided for. God gave you that to be able to use for something in your own life that you might need. Or it might be something that God says, I'm giving you this because I want to test you. Are you willing to trust me that I'm giving you this money for a purpose? Maybe not for yourself, maybe for somebody else. But I want to see if you'll obey me, if you'll listen to that small, still voice that says, I've got a family that needs some money. They're going through a rough time, not able to work. Medical bills are through the roof. And they're, they're, they're needing help. And the first place that they should be able to turn to, as we said, the first lesson that we talked about, is their own family here in this walls. This church is a family. And each, every person of us that hurts, we all hurt. Each time somebody is joyful, we should all be joyful. 
Each time somebody cries about something, we all hurt and cry and mourn and and joyful and gladness over things because we're a family. And it shouldn't be something where they're in need and you're like, oh, yeah. uh, Anybody got a break for a 10? You got two fives for a 10? That shouldn't be that way. As Christians, we should be on the other side of saying, how much do you need? I don't know how I'm going to do it. Faith promise. It's not here. For missions. It's based off of faith. It's based off of God. How much do you want me to give towards missions? I don't know how I'm going to pay for it. If God lays on your heart and says, I want you to give $1,000 a month. That's a lot of money. And someone like me, I don't have an extra $1,000 to give. But it's God testing, saying, if I've said it, I'm not going to tell you to give it if I'm not going to be able to provide it for you. But I want to show and prove whether you're going to trust me or not. That's what the bottom line is, is God's trying to get a hold of your heart and say, just let me work. Don't you try to figure out and go on your budget and see, okay, do we have an extra thousand somewhere I can grab somewhere out here? And if I pull... $5 out of groceries, and I pull some out. Well, I don't need Starbucks, so we'll just pull $10 out of that. And if I I do this, I might get up to $1,000. God says, "I, I just want you to trust and obey me. If you just obey and trust me, I will provide it. That's what he did with Abraham. Could you imagine Abraham? God telling you, hey, take your only son. I want you to sacrifice him to me. Woo! Time out, time out. Uh, God, I don't know if you remember the first conversation we had, but you said you were going to give me a son that all nations would be blessed and we would have so many, such a large family and, and a generations that the, the sand, there's an innumerable amount of them. I only got one son. God, I, I can't. You killed, uh, if I kill that one, then... Where's the rest of the promise? But later we read in Hebrews that Abraham believed if he did end up killing Isaac, if God had him go through with it, he believed God would raise him back from the dead. Are we that faithful enough? Are we that trusting in God that, God, I, I, I don't, this, this idea, this, this amount that you're telling me to give, I don't know how, how I'm going to do it. Just like communion, pastor talks about, it's a, it's a, I want to say a neat little thing of, hey, you've got to do communion, but you can't do it unworthily, so you've got to become clean. It's a good uh, circle there. Be clean so you can do this, but you have to do this, so you better be, get yourself right. God does the same thing when he lays something on your heart. I want you to give this. I want you to give this amount. But realize if you say yes and you do it, I'm going to provide it for you. But you have to trust me. I'm not going to give you $1,000 first and then say, give $1,000. He might wait until a week after you gave $1,000 and that bill comes due. You don't know how God can do it, but God will do it. And we just have to trust him. Let's pray and we'll get ready for the next service. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this morning, again, for your, your word and being able to Uh, Give us a guidebook, 
Lord, not just to how we should live, but how we can trust you. Uh, you've given examples over and over and over in your word of those that trusted you and you were able to use them mightily. I pray that we realize you're the same God that did that to them and you can do that to us. I pray that we uh, become less tight-gripped around our wallets, but more than that, tight-gripped around ourselves, our lives, for you. I pray that you bless this next service. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.